Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. In the United States, the Democratic Party is holding primaries to select a presidential election candidate. Bernie Sanders is trailing in third. With no membership structures to debate policy or hold candidates accountable, are the Democrats a route for change? Meanwhile, Donald Trump is presiding over auto worker strikes and has had to sack his warmonger security advisor, John Bolton. The Republican Party is in constant struggle with its own crises. So what's behind the global rise of Trump-like politicians and the divisions in the GOP? In this episode of Socialism, we discuss the race for the White House in 2020. James Ivans here from the Socialist Newspaper Editor's Department. You're going to be hearing quite a lot of my voice this episode because a lot of our other staff are out at freshers' fairs at university campuses across the country talking to hundreds and thousands of young people interested in socialist ideas about how they can get organised, as well as out on other campaigning activity in the trade unions, on the streets, on the estates, in the workplaces and so on. And this episode we're going to be talking to Tony Sonwar, who is the Secretary of the Committee for a Workers' International. Hello, Tony. Hello, James. So the race to be the next president of the United States of America is hotting up. The incumbent Republican president, Donald Trump, has been making preparations. Most recently, the news is that he sacked John Bolton as his security advisor. Why has he done that? Well, I think the sacking of Bolton really represents massive divisions which exist currently in Trump's White House on Mm. foreign policy. What we see there is that Bolton, who's an arch-hawk, supported military intervention everywhere feasible. And most recently, he's advocated it in Venezuela, mm-hmm. where he anticipated that the US military would go in, or argued that the military should go in. And he thought that the Maduro government would be overthrown, a complete miscalculation. More recently, he's encouraged Trump to go on to a military assault against Iran. Now, Trump really has resisted that, despite Trump being a vicious right-wing populist. His take on foreign policy at this stage is to try and use America's might, but avoid using military intervention. He's argued for diplomatic sanctions against Iran as a means of trying to topple the regime. Mm -hmm. Now, he's done that really for two reasons. One is to try and prove that he's a global statesman and can get results by hard talk uh, (laughs) diplomacy. And also, in this, there's a certain element of him appealing to his own constituency and base by trying to present himself as a US president that doesn't go to war, that won't sacrifice working-class youth from America, who mm. mainly uh, make up the armed forces, and on that basis try to firm up his base in the run-up to the presidential election campaign. Now, in fact, like political parties of every stripe in every country... The Republicans have developed major political fault lines in recent years, and Trump is one of them, and and Trump's own division with Bolton is another one of those, a fault line within a fault line. Right-wing populists have gained across the planet and even started to collaborate internationally. Peter Taff, who's the General Secretary of the Socialist Party, referred to a kind of unofficial populist international, or pop intern, if you will. What's behind all of that? Well, the development of right-wing populism in Europe and of course in America epitomised by Trump, is really a reflection of a lurch to the right by sections of the capitalist class, although Mm -hmm. not necessarily all of the capitalist class in most countries, but it reflects really the massive political vacuum which has opened up in European society and now particularly in, in US society. And that's a reflection of the gulf which has developed 
of a massive division between rich and poor mm -hmm. in all capitalist countries, particularly in the United States at this stage. And at the same time, a complete collapse in the confidence and trust in the existing political parties, both right-wing traditional parties and also the left parties, which have not come up with an alternative. Now, if you look at the situation in the United States, it's incredible the degree of the collapse of support for the traditional parties and institutions which has taken place. In 1958, 73% of the US population trusted the US government to act correctly in most situations. By 1964, that had risen to 78%. Mm. But by 2015, it had crashed to 19%. 19? 19%. Trust the American government to act correctly or justifiably in all or most cases. It's a complete collapse of any authority of the state, of, of the different political parties. And these right-wing populist parties have been able to step into the vacuum, which mm. exists, appear to stand up to the establishment and offer alternative. Now, there has been a degree of collaboration. They come together, discuss, trying to agree common policies and programme. But they also base themselves not only on racism and a right-wing economic policy, they also base themselves very clearly on nationalism. Mm. And one of the problems that will probably develop will be clashes and divisions between themselves as they represent their own national capitalist institutions or capitalist class. They're bound to come into collision with, with each other. That's particularly the case on, in, within Europe. Sure. But we see that phenomenon reflected really by Trump. And it's a very dangerous position as far as the ruling class is concerned because it means they have now in the political leadership of different countries, politicians or political parties that are not fully of them and are a little bit and are out of their control. They're not fully in control of the political mechanisms which exist now. Yeah, you've even heard the Financial Times very recently, haven't you, putting a wrap around on its outside, saying that capitalism needs a reboot yeah. in response to these developments. Yeah. But these right wing populist appeals, even within the national boundaries of their own leaders' countries, do seem to have limits, don't they? Because you've had in the United States a teacher's strike wave in Trump voting heartlands, and now almost 50,000 General Motors workers are on strike. There's no question about it. I mean, the coming to power of these populist regimes, these right-wing populist regimes, represents a threat, and we should be clear about that, because mm. their vicious policies on migration against immigrants, the racism that they whip up, their attacks ultimately on working-class people in general, despite their appeals or their proclamations that they speak for the ordinary people or the working class people, but they come to power. And what is incredible is how quickly some of them have seen their base evaporate. Mm. That's partly beginning to affect Trump. He's not developed as rapidly there as it has in some other countries, but we've had the coming to power of right-wing populist governments. And what's important for the left and for working people to recognise is despite the coming to power of these governments representing a setback, it's not a crushing defeat, as you saw with the coming to power of the fascists in the 1930s in Europe. Not a crushing example. defeat for the working class? No, in, in the sense of a military defeat and a sure. bloody crushing. And you see in a number of countries a massive backlash developing quite rapidly. And it's extremely uh, illuminating what's taken place in Brazil with the mm. coming to power of Bolsonaro, who's out-trumped Trump <laughs> uh, <laughs> in terms of how he's conducted himself. But he, he came to power, which was a setback and a, a defeat. But within a, a few months, 
you've seen the development of a massive general strike against these policies of 47 million people for a 24-hour general strike. You've seen other strikes and protests taken place. The same has taken place in Argentina. Macri came to power, mm. again on the right-wing populist ticket. And within a matter of months, he faced a general strike, and there's now been five general strikes against the Macri government in Argentina. So very impressive. They have their limits, and their electoral base is not solid by any stretch of the imagination and can evaporate. How quickly that takes place depends, of course, on the specific situation which exists in each country. But Trump is feeling the pressure. Mm. These strikes in America are extremely significant and very important and represent a change in the situation. There's beginning to be a certain inroad against Trump in some of his heartlands, but he's kept solid at this stage. And the main reason for that has been the lack of an alternative that's Mm. been put forward. Speaking of which, there would seem to be, given the extraordinarily unstable situation which exists for Trump and others like him and the Republican establishment, whatever side of the populist or traditionalist divide it's on, there would seem to be big openings in that situation for candidates who oppose the capitalist establishment, but on genuine pro-worker lines. So in 2015-16 to you had Bernie Sanders filling sports stadiums with his calls for a political revolution, as he put it, against the billionaire class, that was his slogan, why did he fail? Well, I mean, he, Sanders really reflected the tumultuous situation which had opened up in US society of people looking for an alternative, mm. rejecting the Republican establishment and also rejecting the Democratic establishment. And Sanders mobilised mass enthusiasm for what he projected as a radical left expression of demands reflecting some of the aspirations of the American working class and he, he was seen as a challenger to the establishment. We have mass rallies as you said. Mm. Now why did he fail? Well I think the, the, the main weakness and mistake of Sanders was twofold. One was in terms of his program. Mm-hmm. While he spoke about socialism occasionally when questioned he did it on a very uh, limited basis. For him the socialism was represented by the Scandinavian welfare state, and that was socialism for him. But also, the most important thing is that he saw a perspective, a false perspective, that it would be possible to take the struggle conducted through the Democratic Party. Mm. The movement around Sanders showed really the potential that was there for a new party of the left to develop. But Sanders, wrongly, in 2016 did not break from the Democrats. Mm -hmm. It was impossible for him to win, really, the Democratic nomination because of the completely undemocratic uh, (laughs) nature of the Democratic Party. Sure, Uh, the superdelegates. The superdelegates, the whole way the primary system is stacked against him. The PACs, as they called it, the massive investment of big business corporations to run and back their own candidates. Yeah, it's a Wall Street party. Wall Street doesn't want someone like him capturing it. It is a Wall Street party, and they were inevitably going to block him. But he sees his mission then, towards the end, of challenging the movement through the Democratic Party. Mm. And unfortunately, he's made the same mistake. He's repeated it now in 2019. Mm. Well, given the Democratic Party is such a big business stitch-up, what should Sanders have done instead? I mean, after all, you've had, since then, you've had left-wingers like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who even calls herself a socialist, who's made gains in the Democrats. You've had that kind of development. Doesn't that show that he was right? What, what else could he have done? Well, what he could have done, I think, was take the necessary steps to break from the Democratic Party. It's true, you've had Cortez, who says she's a socialist, you know, and reflects some left-wing populist demands. Mm-hmm. 
and takes that up and is a reflection of the thirst for a radical left alternative. But she scored a victory in terms of getting elected, but it's very limited. They've got some members who regard themselves as socialists, have been elected to positions, Cortez is one of them, but it's not that widespread. And it illustrates the fact that it's not possible to transform this capitalist party, the Democrats, into a party of the working class. It doesn't exist. The fact that it, that it uses the term party is a complete myth. There's no membership of the party. There's no structures, as we would understand it. Of the Democratic Party. Of the Democratic Party. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just incredible, the farce which exists to, to try and project it as a party. Now, what Sanders should have done in 2016, he had these mass rallies, was to call a conference of his supporters and to take the necessary steps to break from the Democrats. And what would that mean? That would mean convening a conference of rank-and-file trade unionists, mm-hmm. a community activists, to offer a real socialist alternative and establish a proper new party of working people and to fight the election on that basis. Now, some said, well, in 2016 it was not possible because there was no new party. It's very difficult to get on the ballot paper. Well, the Greens offered Sanders to go on their ticket. Mm. He could have done that and at the same time formed his own party based on the working class. And rather than going through the primaries on this occasion, as you see he is doing now, he's going into the primaries, but he's getting support, significant support, but he's only third Mm. and he's partly missed the boat a little bit in terms of taking the necessary steps and he's emphasising again this time his struggle is to go in and transform the Democratic Party which is a complete dead end there's Mm. no future for the working people of the United States with a perspective of trying to transform the Democratic Party So having passed up the enormous platform which he created in 2015, 2016, to establish a new, what could have been a mass radical party, even potentially a mass workers' party in the United States. He's now trailing behind the left liberal candidate, Elizabeth Warren, and both he and Warren seem likely to lose out to the establishment Democrat, Joe Biden. How's that happened? Well, I think there's two things happen there. One is Sanders maybe is not seen as such a fresh figure. Mm-hmm. He's not posed a real alternative in terms of a struggle to build a new party. And Warren has been able to step in, taking up radical demands, it's true, of a populist character. Mm -hmm. But she makes very clear she supports capitalism. But she's on about 15% in some of the polls. And this, by the way, is registered Democrats. This is not the broad mass of the population. And we should remember in the United States, there's more people registered as independent than are registered as supporters of of other parties Mm. it's the biggest block so there's a a massive constituency there to appeal particularly for sanders but then biden also stepped in and it's a reflection of the democrat machine and a layer of people who see him as the more viable option to defeat trump at this stage but we should remember what biden's track record is is part of the democratic establishment Mm. he was vice president under obama Mm -hmm. you know and has a terrible track record as far as defending working people's interests are concerned and as far as combating racism is concerned. And you could say that a lot of the degeneration of living and working conditions which the Democrats presided over under Obama, notwithstanding him presenting himself as a new face, first black president and so on, a lot of those were really the basis for when Hillary Clinton came in and said, 
everything's fine, let's just keep going. People said, well, you know what, to hell with the Democrats, we're going to vote for anyone who's different, and so you've got Trump. And here's Joe Biden representing exactly the same tendency as Hillary Clinton in reality represented. But a lot of people will surely feel that the main problem is getting rid of Donald Trump. So isn't it right, they might ask, to support whoever is the most prominent candidate who promises to do that? Well, you can understand why people would think that, particularly those who want Trump out. You know, I mean, and they would see that as a point. But the reality is, is Biden going to be the most effective candidate to, to do that? And I think there's a big question mark. And even if Biden won, you could understand why people would vote for him mm. for that. But what's going to be the reality? If Biden comes to power, is he going to introduce universal health care? Is he going to introduce other reforms in the interests of working class people? I think not. He will, like the previous democratic governments, will fundamentally come down in defence of capitalism and big business. And we should remember, even under Obama, when there was a lot of hopes and expectations, Mm. not only did they move to attack the working class in the United States on their foreign policy, there was more drone attacks carried out under Obama than any other previous US administration. Mm. And... You know, Guantanamo wasn't shut down. You know, that was left even on their foreign policy. It was somewhat different, but it was a continuation of capitalist and imperialist interests. So you can understand people why they would vote Democrat to defeat Trump. But we'd have to also explain the socialists. That is not going to represent a real alternative. And I think there's a big question mark if it is Biden, because he is part of the Democratic establishment, one layer will rally to him on the basis we have to defeat Trump and we can understand that is we don't we you know we can understand why people would do that. We think he's mistaken to view it like that. But on another layer, it will firm Trump supporter. Because mm. Trump against Biden, you know, boring Joe as, uh, <laughs> as he's referred to, he is not going to go into some of Trump's heartlands and be able to rally support because of his track record and how he's perceived. So what's needed then to break this deadlock in the United States and how can workers and young people help the fight for it? Well, I think what's needed, I mean, the pot has been stirred in the United States. There's a collapse of living standards, which has gone on mm. for decades. It's brutal, you know, the position of the of the attacks that have taken place against the United States working class. The American dream has been shattered in the course of the last two decades. Mm. I mean, you now have a situation... Whereas something like 60 or 70% of young people in the United States in the past assumed that they would have a better standard of living than their parents, which was the American dream, mm. that's been shattered now. Over 50% of young people in the United States now have to have financial help from their parents. So the idea they're going to live better than their parents has gone. Mm. And you see the turmoil. Trump is a reflection of that, of a search for something new. But there'll be battles that take place with a changed economic position, further attacks on the working class, what we see at General Motors, what we've seen with the teachers in West Virginia mm-hmm. is going to be a further uh, illustration of some of the battles that will come from the mighty working class in the United States. But the lesson has to be drawn from this of the mistake that Sanders made in 2016 of not breaking from the Democrats. Now, that issue is going to be posed. In some ways, if Biden wins, Mm. it'll put it back on the agenda much more firmly. The idea of building a new party of the left, and that's what socialists in the US now have to struggle and fight for, 
is fighting for socialist ideas, where there's an enormous receptivity and openness to discuss socialism, but it now needs the steps being taken to build or lay the basis for a new party to be built in the US. And if you're listening in the United States and want to assist in that struggle, you should get in contact with the Committee for a Workers' International. You can visit socialistworld.net. Join the fight back there. Thanks very much, Tony. Thanks, James. And this episode of Socialism goes out on the 20th of September, the day of the global climate strike. The Socialist Party has been down taking part in the climate strikes all across England and Wales. And this one, certainly in London, seems like it was possibly the biggest yet. Tens of thousands of young people walking out of class in order to make their voices heard about the climate crisis. And for the first time, they were joined today by thousands of workers who have forced their employers to allow them to take collective action to come out and join the demonstrations, even for just half an hour, but in some cases for all day, along with trade union banners. This is something which the Socialist Party has been arguing for from the very beginning, from the very first climate strikes in Britain back in February. A couple of things. First of all, for the students to form students' unions within the schools to organise, to debate out the policies this movement needs. We're still putting that forward, but we've also had success in getting the trade unions to organise collective action on the climate strikes, and that was evident today in London. That's a very important development because of the huge potential power that workers have in shutting down production and services, in making it impossible for the capitalists to make profits and even to govern society, and thereby forcing social change. So it was a fantastic demonstration today, and out on the climate strike, socialism caught up with some of the people taking part in the demonstration. Okay, do you want to just say your name, your age, where you're from? So my name's Phoebe, I'm 20 and I'm from South London. So I came to the A just to get my opinion out there and hopefully see a change in the future towards climate change. And I just want, I feel like what's happening today is really important because it really puts our opinions out there and it makes it known that we won't stand for any longer this inaction towards climate change and the environment. Great. And what was the demo like today? Um, It was quite calm. It was very peaceful. Um, Was it big? Yeah, there were lots of people. (laughs) Hi, uh, I'm Yvonne Martin and I'm 16. I come from Spain and Venezuela and I'm just furious about this whole climate change thing and they're just not doing anything about it. So I came down here to, you know, try and help even a little bit with the situation going around. Uh, Joe Cole from South London. Um, Any disruption caused by climate change protesters is nothing compared to the disruption that rising sea levels are going to cause in the next 20 to 50 years. Okay. My name is Marta. I'm from Catalonia. And... Well, no, basically, um, that I, <laughs> that yes, maybe people can make little changes in for the climate change, but uh, the main responsibility responsibility uh, is not on the people, is not on the working class. It, it has to be put on the big companies, on the governments. And yes, and on, on the big financial system that just wants to make money out of anything. It doesn't matter what about the earth or what about the lives of the humanity. And that's all. <laughs> it's 
Yeah, so my name is Nicole. I'm 20 and I'm from South London. And um, climate change is caused by the, the top 1% and the elite, and it affects the greater community, the greater society, it affects all of us. And everyone just wake up and realise that and act on it if they can. And the protest today was very peaceful, very calm, and it was a very nice vibe. And I hope change can be accomplished. Okay, start by saying your name and where you're from. Uh, my name is Serogo Tabuni, and I came from Militant Papua, which is campaign for self-determination West Papua. Today we hear regard of the climate change and West Papua, which has uh, been occupied, colonized by multinational corporation, which is mining. Why we stand here? Because we need to uh, save the working uh, work worker in who are working in the mining company which is destroyed by multinational com company didn't provide the safe security and also living standard and they pay a minimum wage which is uh, very lower than to support the living standard for the family and we need this this is company need to be out from west papua part of the destroy our uh, forest and our because in forest is where we're living where we get the uh, food because in West Papua National supermarket our forest is our supermarket where we're living on so we need how to organize all the working class united and how to the all the uh, company need to be hard of the working class to manage uh, for the interest of the working class not for the multinational corporation, not for the private company, who are destroying entire working class system and also destroy our uh, uh, forest, which is second biggest after Amazon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. And now, as usual, we're going to hear some reports from the latest workers' struggles and campaigns that have taken place during the past few days. This episode, we're going to be joined by Dave Carr. Hello, Dave. Hi, James. Thanks. I'm a member of the editorial team of The Socialist, the weekly campaigning newspaper of the Socialist Party. And I'm going to be commenting on the trade union articles in this week's workplace pages. The articles we carry are often written by workers themselves, mm. who we describe as worker correspondents, or they're written by Socialist Party members acting in solidarity to assist workers in struggle. The first article I'd like to draw attention to is about the current dispute developing between 100,000 postal workers in Britain, mm. who are members of the Communications Workers Union, the CWU, and a very aggressive confrontational management that appears determined to weaken the union's leverage in Royal Mail. The article was written by Gary Clark, who's a CWU rep in Scotland, and in it, he describes how postal workers are routinely being bullied by management and that senior management is reneging on a deal agreed over a year ago between the CWU and Royal Mail, mm -hmm. which covers workers' terms and conditions. For example, Royal Mail is now saying that the one-hour reduction in postal workers working week, which is expected next month in October, mm -hmm. is now subject to cost savings. <laughs> um, 
In other words, they want to rob Peter to pay Paul. But above all, as Gary points out, it's the constant pressure and bullying of postal workers that is really increasing shop floor anger. Mm. And consequently, the CWU is currently balloting for strike action. Royal Mail also recently published its five-year plan, which actually threatens 20,000 jobs and indeed the breakup of Royal Mail itself. Now, Gary says in conclusion that the CWU should consider strike action, even going beyond a 24-hour national stoppage. Moreover, the CWU should call upon Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader, to fully back the strike action and that a future Labour government would, in fact, re-nationalise Royal Mail. Mm. The Socialist has also given coverage to the months-long action by Lincolnshire Health Visitors, members of the Unite Union. They've taken an unprecedented 26-day strike action so far Mm -hmm. against their Tory-run county council employer, against a long-standing pay freeze, in other words, a pay cut, Mm -hmm. effectively. In this article, Karen Hayes, who's a Unite Union rep, explains the pressures at work that health visitors face enormous pressures. But she also points to the solidarity shown by the wider labour movement, which has really made them determined to carry on their fight. Mm. The other article I'd like to draw attention to, and this is really of critical importance to the Socialist Party and indeed the wider working class, is about the contest for the General Secretary's position in the PCS Civil Servants Union. Mm. Now, For us, leadership of the trade unions is vital in terms of whether a union is combative and accountable to the rank and file or acts as a break on worker struggle and is aloof and removed from the union's ranks. Now, in the current PCS General Secretary election, the Socialist is supporting Marion Lloyd, Mm -hmm. who is a member of the union's national executive and is also a member of the Socialist Party. Marion is a long-standing PCS activist with a proven track record, fighting from the front to defend jobs, pensions, and in demanding substantial pay rises for low-paid civil servants. In her article, Marion explains that the current leadership of the PCS is frankly lagging behind political developments. And instead of mobilising the membership and the wider trade union movement to exploit the weaknesses of the Johnson Tory government, Mm. is instead putting all its eggs into the basket of waiting for a Labour government to put things right for workers. In a supplementary article, Marion calls on the PCS branches to support a 30-minute stoppage protest on the 20th September as part of the Day of Action Against Climate Change, linking the dynamic school student walkouts over environmental issues to the organised working class. Most listeners are aware that trade unions are vital organisations that can defend and advance workers' terms and conditions of employment in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But more than that, as Marxists, we understand that the organised working class, because of its central role in production in capitalist society, can potentially, by withdrawing its labour, bring about political change in society. That is why we emphasise the centrality of the working class in building a movement for socialism. Now, I hope this summary encourages listeners to regularly read The Socialist and, moreover, to contribute future articles to its pages. Thanks very much, Dave. 
Now just a short update on some of the campaigning activity in the past few days. There's been a victory against fire brigade cuts in South Yorkshire. That's right. So the Fire Brigades Union, the Socialist Party and others have been campaigning for months against fire authority cuts, which would have meant losing 84 firefighters from the South Yorkshire Fire and Rescue Service. We said instead management should use some of its £25 million reserves to retain those firefighters while campaigning for the weak Westminster government to provide fair funding. And as part of campaigning activity, the Socialist Party has collected 2,500 signatures for a total petition of around 10,000. The authority has just agreed to use those reserves to save the jobs, and the union and the Socialist Party are now saying, great, but now you must fight for the needed funds to replace that money as well. Neil Carbert, who's the South Yorkshire Brigade Secretary of the Fire Brigades Union, has said, we're ecstatic that the fire authority has rejected these unacceptable cuts, and also, we'd like to say a huge thank you to members of the public, local Socialist Party activists and the Labour and Trade Union movement for their unwavering support. It's thanks to them and the hard work of FBU members that we've been able to win our campaign and continue to keep South Yorkshire safe. There's also been praise for the Socialist Party in Worcestershire, where firefighters are still fighting closures, and they've sent a message to Worcester Socialist Party saying, Hereford and Worcester Fire Brigades Union are extremely grateful for the continued support that the Socialist Party have provided through our recent disputes. Now, Worcester Socialist Party is demanding that all closed fire stations are reopened, that the axed crews are reinstated, that there are 40 firefighters on duty at night, and that all appliances are fully staffed with permanent firefighters. Campaigners in the region are organising a march in Budley on the 28th of September, and the Socialist Party will continue to support all campaigns by the FBU and any action, including strike action, that firefighters decide to take in defence of the service and their jobs. And defending the fire service is very important, given there's been yet another tower block fire. That's right, Dave. That's the third in three months in London, this time in Clapton. Luckily, it seems there have been no fatalities in this latest fire. A Socialist Party member living on the estate spoke to us about it, and once again, flammable cladding seems to have played a part, just as in the fire in the Barking Riverside estate earlier this year and the catastrophe at Grenfell in 2017. The Socialist Party says that all combustible cladding must come off the towers now. The landlords should pay for it, not the residents, and they should send the bill to the government if they can't afford it. We demand the release of all fire safety reports, and we also suggest to residents that they form residents associations where they don't have them, which, if necessary, can organise to withhold rent and service charges until the blocks are made safe. NHS hospitals still have £55 billion left on PFI contracts. Yes, so this is a new figure which has come out in the past week or so, and some hospitals, it seems, are paying out one-sixth of their budget on parasitic private finance initiative repayment schemes. PFI was a Tory system which was massively expanded by Blair's Labour governments as a way to keep spending off the public books and also hand more public assets and contracts to the profiteering private sector. It's been a disaster for the health service, along with austerity cuts, direct privatisation and introduction of market competition in the NHS, all of which was driven by a series of Tory and right-wing Labour governments and assisted, we have to say, by EU rules. The Socialist Party says that an incoming Corbyn-led Labour government should cancel all PFI debts, refuse to pay them back because the private vultures have stripped enough from our NHS already. As well as doing that, it ought to restore all lost funding and put the entire health service, including the big pharmaceutical companies, in public hands 
under democratic workers' control and management. And the Socialist Party has its own campaign to report on too. Yes, we do. So the Socialist Party recently moved offices after a gentrifying landlord evicted us from our last headquarters. Our appeal to our working class membership and supporters set an initial target of £150,000 to fund the move. It's actually reached an incredible £201,000 of paid donations alone. However, we do still need to relocate our print shop by the end of October. That's where we produce our pamphlets, placards, leaflets and magazines, which are all indispensable tools in building support for socialist ideas. Moving our printing press alone could cost £4,000. So if you agree with what you hear on socialism, the podcast and what you read in the socialist newspaper, if you want to help support independent working class politics, please help us out. Go to socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. And if you've already pledged to our building appeal fund, but not yet paid it in, please pay it in. We want you to send us recordings from picket lines and campaigns and reports of your own activity. We also want your questions, comments and ideas for future episodes. Email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Help us spread the word by giving us a five-star review and subscribing so you don't miss out. And don't forget to recommend us to your co-workers and friends. Socialism the podcast has no wealthy backers. We survive thanks to the financial support of ordinary working class and young people, and we're proud of the political independence that gives us. If you like what you hear, help us take the fight to big business. You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. If you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for, we need you. Join our fight for a winning strategy in the labour and trade union movement. Join the Socialist Party now. Send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. If you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for a Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. This week we heard from Tony Sonwar speaking to me, James Ivans, along with Dave Carr. Till next time, solidarity. <laughs>